It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, February 4th, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The U.S. Navy says its warships will need more room to maneuver during next year's military drills in the Gulf of Alaska, and it's going through the permitting process and accepting public comment on the proposal next month. The Navy conducts live-fire exercises in federal waters between southeast Alaska and Prince William Sound as part of the military's Northern Edge training exercises. John Mosier is the civilian project manager for Northern Edge, and he says the Navy's leadership has decided the current 55,000-square-mile area is too tight for maneuvers by its half-dozen warships. Uh, The area that we were kind of restricted to operate in was just too limited. It wasn't a realistic uh, way of maneuvering our vessels and our aircraft uh, as they would in a real-world scenario. The Navy is proposing to add a 246,000-square-mile zone that would extend westward as far as Dutch Harbor and the Aleutians. It would be used for transiting and not for increased live fire drills or active sonar usage, both of which would only be conducted in the current area. The training exercises typically are held early in the spring, and Mosher says they haven't created any problems for fishing boats or civilian shipping in the area. Our vessels typically operate further away from the main channels, the main fishing grounds, things like that, simply to avoid uh, other activities. The Navy also says it won't detonate explosives in waters that are less than 4,000 meters deep. Mosier says that pledge is in response to comments from Alaska Native tribes and the commercial fishing industry. It eliminates um, uh, the potential for effects on fish, on marine mammals, on marine birds, and then also minimizes the potential to overlap with fishing activities. Northern Edge is a biennial training exercise conducted in and around Alaska. It's headed up by the Air Force and involves service members from every branch of the military. A 45-day comment period will collect comments on the Navy's proposal to expand its areas of maneuvers during 2023's Northern Edge exercises. A Sitka resident and charter operator has been convicted of felony theft of electricity, and he'll have to pay $150,000 in restitutions and fines immediately or face additional civil charges from the city. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. 59-year-old Richard A. Forst pleaded guilty in Sitka Superior Court on January 31st to one count of criminal mischief in the fourth degree, a misdemeanor, and to one count of theft in the second degree, a felony, for the theft of electric power at his home on Islander Drive and at his dock property on Halibut Point Road for at least the last seven years. Forst was arrested and charged in 2019 after technicians with the Sitka Electric Department noticed that the padlock had been removed from Forst's electric meter and replaced with another not supplied by the utility. A large motor was audible in Forst's garage. The department subsequently pulled the meter and found that two bypass wires had been installed to divert power into the garage without first going through the meter. The main circuit breaker was opened and the motor inside the garage nevertheless continued running. Technicians later observed that the meter at Force Commercial Property at Guckers Island Dock on Halibut Point Road had been bypassed in a similar manner. Police were informed of the situation They obtained a search warrant to investigate inside the buildings at the two properties and found that the bypassed circuits were feeding refrigeration equipment. Based on the age of the equipment and further investigation into forced electrical consumption, the department estimated the value of electricity diverted over a period of years to be around $200,000. 
Municipal Attorney Brian Hansen appeared at forced change of plea hearing to deliver a scathing victim impact statement on behalf of all ratepayers in the community. The city and borough of Sitka is not a cement building at the end of Lincoln Street. It is not a full of faceless bureaucrats. The city and borough of Sitka is approximately 8,500 citizens, men, women, and children in this community who live, work, go to school, and recreate in this community. They also are electric rate payers in this community. Um, some are in poverty. Many are low income. And these citizens plead to our assembly to keep the rates of electricity as low as possible. Mr. Forrest, you stole from those citizens and you stole from them for years. Under the plea agreement, Forrest must pay approximately $145,000 in restitution to the city of Sitka and fines just over $5,000. In an email to city assembly members, attorney Hansen wrote that, if Mr. Forrest fails to immediately pay the judgment, I will initiate civil enforcement. Neither was Superior Court Judge Jude Pate conciliatory, he told Forrest that had he not accepted the plea agreement, he could have faced one to three years in prison for the original charge of theft in the first degree and paid up to $100,000 in fines. The original charge of criminal mischief in the third degree carried potential jail time of up to two years and a $50,000 fine. Judge Pate agreed with the state prosecutor Amy Fenske that when a citizen of nominal good standing, a prosperous business owner, abuses the system so flagrantly, something more damaging than mere theft occurs. The bigger and possibly the more long-term harm is, as Counsel Finsky pointed out, they're tearing at the social fabric, and that's just the lack of trust um, that, that these actions have brought about. In a time where our society is already at odds on so many things, and you pour in this doubt, this mistrust by stealing. It causes citizens not to trust the government. It causes citizens not to trust each other. It, it erodes our very community. Judge Pate offered Force the opportunity to address the matter in open court, but he declined. Mr. Forrest, is there anything you'd like to tell me before I decide what to do? You're not required to speak, but if you'd like to speak, now would be the time. No, Judge. Judge Pate went on to observe that if the COVID pandemic had not intervened, this case likely would have gone to trial. As a result, public reaction to date has been somewhat muted. In his remarks, Forrest's attorney, Juno-based August Petropoulos, suggested that the entire question of Forrest's guilt would be moot if two as-yet-unread motions received favorable ruling from the court, the first to dismiss the original indictment and the second to suppress the evidence in the case. Nevertheless, Petropoulos said he wasn't there to litigate and urged the court to accept the plea deal. But we're taking this deal. I think it's a fair compromise given the two motions uh, that that were filed, uh, the fact that Mr. Forrest has no prior conviction, that this guarantees the city uh, get the 144924 uh, I'd ask the court accept it. In addition to the restitution and fines, Forrest will serve two years of supervised probation. He also agreed to perform 80 hours of community work service. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
A fisherman from Seldovia is collecting stories from fellow Gulf of Alaska fishermen. KMXT's Kirsten Dobroth reports that the Oral History Audio Project will eventually be sent to the Library of Congress. It was in the mid-1990s when Josh Wisniewski landed in Kachemak Bay as an 18-year-old. Today, he's a salmon set netter and still fishes halibut out of Seldovia. It's also where he says the inspiration for his current audio project was born. When I was a kid and, and came across the bay here and started, you know, meeting and fishing for Alaskan Native elders who, of course, have been here forever, but as well as other people who had been fishing here since before statehood, I was just amazed by people's stories, for one, but also the depth of people's knowledge. The Library of Congress's American Folklife Center hands out grants annually to document the oral histories of tradespeople across the country. They're then sent to the library's archive. Wisniewski was one of six awarded the grant last year. He's collecting stories on behalf of the Alaska Marine Conservation Council. This year's audio contributions include stories from mail carriers in Appalachia and healthcare workers in New York's Hudson River Valley. Wisniewski's recordings will be the first stories from Alaska. And it's a real like wide range of people that kind of really reflect the diversity of the United States. He started recording stories last fall and plans on talking to 20 fishermen. He's been to Homer, Seldovia, the south side of Kachemak Bay, and Sitka. He was also in Kodiak last month and will visit again later this spring. He says many of the stories touch on changes in commercial fishing's technology over the years. I find a common theme of just an intrinsic value people have in the experience of it, whether it's pivotal experiences on the ocean and um, opportunities to, to see yourself and test yourself as you push yourself physically and mentally and emotionally, sometimes in complex situations, and just kind of a overall real valuation, I think, of the camaraderie among fishermen. Wisniewski plans to whittle down his recordings and submit them to the Library of Congress this summer. He says he'll continue the project after that, though, and hopes to release a podcast from the stories. Reporting in Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobroth. Taking a look at the community calendar. Sitka Jazz Festival concerts are at 7 p.m. Friday and Saturday, February 4th and 5th at the Sitka Performing Arts Center. Tickets are on sale at fineartscamp.org shows and at the door. Masking will be required. The deadline to apply for a three-year non-compensated appointment to the Alaska State Museum's Collections Advisory Committee is Monday, February 28th. For more information and to send a letter of interest and resume, you can email addison.field at alaska.gov. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.